0: Well, again, good morning. Yeah, I didn't introduce myself earlier. My name's Tony Deekman. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just a privilege to uh, be sharing God's word with you this morning. Uh, I want to thank Walt and the team for all their work this morning. Uh, yeah, I said earlier we were on vacation for eleven days, and um, I'd, I've done some, I did something. I had several firsts on this vacation that I've never done before in my life, and uh, it. it Kind of taught me some things, and I'd kind of like to share some of those things this morning. And uh, one of the things that it taught me was it's, it's, you don't have to get there so fast. We traveled over 2,000 miles in 11 days, and the, the really remarkable thing for me is that it took me 11 days to travel 2,000 miles. Typically, it takes me two days to travel 2,000 miles. I'll drive 1,000 miles in one day or more, and then 1,000 miles in the next. It's all about getting to the destination. I was talking to uh, Phil earlier, because as I was talking about it, his wife is gigging him here, because Phil's a truck driver, and ever, whenever you pull up the GPS instructions and it says seven hours and 15 minutes, the first thing that goes through your mind is, oh, I can beat that, right? <laughs> I can get there faster than that. Well, we're going to stop for guests. I don't care. I can still get there before that, right? And so one of the things that happened on this trip is we actually took our time. And I told my wife as we did this that I was going to take my time. And we've been married for a long time, and she's probably thinking, yeah, well, that'll be the day that I see you take your time. But we did. And and I tell you that because it was remarkable for me because I got to see things and meet people that I would not have met had I not taken my time. And, And we went to Texas, and we went to... Arkansas, we went to Tennessee, and we went to Indiana along the way. We were in Missouri and Oklahoma, and it was just beautiful to meet and take your time and meet new people. But see, that was the goal: was to get there in a leisurely way, but to get there, you know. And to get there, we used three different GPS systems because where we were going was important, and we wanted to make sure we actually got to where we were going. Not that we got there fast, but we got there. And that was funny. It made me think of my, old, my youngest daughter. She asked us about a year ago. She's like, like how did you guys find anything without like, Google Maps or Apple Maps when you were growing up? How did you find places? And I'm like, well, they actually had physical maps and this thing called an atlas. Right? And you had to make sure it was an up-to-date atlas, and they, they put them out every year because they added new roads, and you wanted to make sure you had all the latest things. And now it's in Google, and it's in Apple, you know, and you can find those things. And actually, you could travel with Google, and she, I don't know if Google's a she, but the voice is a she. So she was supposed to alert you to stoppages, right? like fastest routes, and it's supposed to reroute you. Well, Google Maps, she failed us on the way home. Because we were coming north out of Indianapolis on I-65, and it said, there is a 15-minute delay in front of you. You are still on the fastest route. And about two minutes later, we come to a complete stop. And we remained there for an hour and a half. So much for this being the, the most like, expeditious route. Google Maps wasn't right. And it was, it was extremely frustrating. It would have been more frustrating had I not like, committed to doing this in a leisurely fashion. So we stopped, I turned off the engine, and we talked. It was still a little bit anxious for me, I have to admit. But my wife told me that on this trip, which I did, driving more, well more than half the miles, either at or under the speed limit, which for those of you that have ridden with me or watched me drive, I have to be sitting there going, oh, I don't believe that at all. But it's the honest truth. And my, I told my wife, I said, I don't think I've ever been passed by so many trucks in my entire life. <laughs> and she said, or cars. And I'm like, yeah, it was really strange, but it was really relaxing and, and therapeutic. And I say that because... What I want to point out is the fact that that was the goal, right? It wasn't just, let's just see how it turns out. It's like, no, the goal was, I told my wife this was going to be relaxing. I told my wife I was going to take my time. I told my wife I would be safe in in how I drove. And that was the goal. That was the target. And when we got back, I said, so how was that? And she's like, that was nice. I really enjoyed that. Usually she sleeps while I drive it, I think it doesn't scare her as much. But, so, but this time she was actually awake for the whole trip, which was, that's a first. I mean, there were like firsts all over the place for this trip. But I, I bring it up because the target, the point, when you have that target, right, it, it's important. And that's one of the things I love about this series. If you look at the graphics on the cover of this book, and if you look at the graphics in the Being Challenge, you'll see these arrows in this target in the background, because it's all about being focused on the target. If you don't set a target, if you don't set a goal, then, then you have no idea where you're going to end up. I don't know, maybe you've seen this famous quote by Lewis Carroll. It says, if you don't know where you're going, well, then any road will get you there. Right now, that might be a great way to, like, walk through the woods. Right? Or, or, or travel around visiting parks. It might be a great way to do that, but it's no way to live. It's no way to live. And especially, it is no way to live as a Christian. Because as a Christian, our destination has been set by God. And the destination is to be like Jesus. That's the destination he's put out ahead of every Christian. Our goal, our end game is to be like Jesus. There's no other goal when it comes to who we are. We're called to be like Jesus. And he promises us as we seek to be like him to mold us and to shape us and to make us more and more into his image. But here's the thing. He doesn't just want to do that in you, specifically, individually. He does, but he wants to really do that in us collectively. His goal, his dream is that we would be one, that we would be united, that we together, the church, and I'm not talking about just the people in this room, and I'm not talking about just in one denomination. I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ, which is every believer in the world that calls Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, that confesses him with their mouth and believes in him with their heart, that is the body of Christ. That is the church. That does not belong to one denomination. And God's desire is that we would grow up into the likeness of Christ. When you look around the world or you talk to your friends or you're afraid to talk to your friends because you believe they have this idea of Christianity, you believe they have this idea of Jesus, which isn't good or it's a wrong idea, and the reason they have this idea about Jesus is because they haven't met him. Because if they met him, they would fall in love with him and he would change their life. And God has given us, the church, the responsibility to show Jesus to the world around us. The responsibility to be Jesus to the world around us. And to help us do that, he's put his spirit in us, but he's also called us together. Because it was never meant to do it. We were never meant to do it alone. We were designed, we were created To live in community with one another together presenting the picture of who jesus is so that we could better understand who he is and what it is to be like him and that we could give a better representation of him to the world that the world could see jesus in us so this next eight weeks we want to endeavor to be more like Jesus, to be very intentional about the target. The target during this series is to be like Jesus, is to grow more and more into the image of the Son, which we will spend the rest of our lives doing. And, And the more you get to know him, the more you understand that you don't know about him. And so we want to spend the next eight weeks doing that. As we begin today, as we turn to this story in Ephesians, I'd ask if you would bow your heads, pray with me as we begin. Father, we thank you for bringing us together, for gathering us, for calling us here so that you could teach us, that you could change us, that you could mold us more into the image of your Son, so that as we leave this place today, we would be better reflections of you, Father, I pray that for the people that do not know you, and I pray that for the sake of Jesus. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, I rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, as you heard read right earlier, Paul, the apostle Paul, is writing to this church at Ephesus. And Ephesus was a, a big city in that day, about 2,000 years ago. And, and Paul is writing to this church And he's exhorting them how to live as the church. And he's exhorting them to do that together. And his big theme in this this text is about unity. The big theme in this text is about being one. That's his goal for the church in Ephesus. And that's his goal that Jesus has given him for the church. The interesting thing about Paul is he identifies himself at the beginning of this text as a prisoner for the Lord. Paul is in Rome. He's in jail. And he's writing this letter. And what's ironic is Paul spent most of his life as an adult, as a Pharisee, trying to put Christians in prison. Trying to actually kill Christians and put an end to Christians. And now here Paul is, in prison, trying to encourage people to become Christians. Right? Why? Because he met Jesus. That's why. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus when he thought he knew who God was. When he thought he knew who Jesus was, he had Jesus all figured out that he was an imposter that died, and his disciples stole his body. He sees the risen Jesus, and his whole world changes. What he was once zealous for the law of Paul now becomes zealous for Jesus and zealous for people who don't know him. And he spent the rest of his life helping people come to know the true Jesus. And the way he did it, he said in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. How many of you pray that every day? That's a tough prayer. That's a tough thing to say to somebody. But that was what Paul desired to do, is that people could see Jesus in him because he knew that if they could meet Jesus, their lives would change, as his did. And it changed In the blink of an eye, when you encounter Jesus, (laughs) things change. And Paul understood that. And he goes on to say, he says, So when I was a prisoner as the Lord, I urge you all, and he's writing to all of us today, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You who call yourself Christian, you who have the Spirit of God living in you, you who confess Jesus with your mouth and believe in Him with your heart, you have a calling. It's not just people who are pastors and, and teachers. And, and It's not just those people. You, as a Christian, have a calling, a holy, righteous calling by God Himself. He hasn't just called you here this morning. He has called you into the service of Jesus to share the news about Jesus, the truth about him with the world, the people that don't know him, to help meet the needs of the world around us in the name of Jesus. And he calls us as we do this to be completely humble, completely gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Does that, does that picture there like, bring to mind anyone that you know? It should. It should just remind you of Jesus. And, and if you don't have that picture of him, then you don't have the true picture of Jesus. You don't understand just how precious you are to him, just how much you mean to him. Regardless of what you think about yourself, regardless of what people say about you, You are precious to God, so precious that he sent his son, so precious that he did so before you ever said, I believe. So precious are you that he did not hold your sins against you and still does not hold your sins against you. And he so desperately wants you to know that, to know that truth about him and to to make sure that you understand that he is humble and gentle and patient. He doesn't use his position. He humbles himself. And even though he's God, he doesn't demand to be treated like God. But yet he makes himself a servant, a servant to everyone, and, and even unto death, a death on a cross. He calls us to do the same, to go into the world, to be completely gentle with our words and our actions, to be cl- completely humble as we walk and talk with people. I love this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He's talking about this this destructive nature of pride and how knowledge can sometimes build us up in our own mind. And it becomes, Christianity becomes about memorizing verses and, and being able to quote verses and to be able to point out sins that are in the Bible, and we're able to do this like that, right? And, and we become to feel good about ourselves because we have all of this memorized. But the warning Paul has here is like knowledge just puffs us up. If, and sometimes we have to be careful because knowledge can do that. We make it about knowing more and being more right. But he said, but love builds up. That's why Paul said that we need to do it all in love. not not prideful, but humble, because love builds one another up. If if you're not feeling built up, if if, if you're feeling torn down, then I want to encourage you this morning to turn to Jesus and his word, to turn to him this morning, because he's the one that is here to build you up not a false sense of making you feel better than yourself, but actually understanding for the first time just how valuable you are. To have a truly right understanding of where you stand in the presence of the king of the universe. He desires that you know that. His love for you is that you would know that. He wants to build you up not tear you down. That is what Paul understood. That is what people who follow Jesus, who who seek after him, understand. That is what he calls us to share with the people around us. Paul goes on to say that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you notice anything that's repeating there? Whenever you read his text, whenever you read a verse or two, and you see a word repeating, 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 you should pay attention. We see this word one repeated seven times here in this text. Paul being a Hebrew, Hebrews assigned meaning and and values to numbers, and that number seven in the Hebrew is meant to to represent completeness or wholeness. And Paul is saying here to us that we are complete and we are whole when we are one. We are complete and we are whole when we are one. Because there's only one Spirit. There's only one church. There's only one God. And He is God of all. Again, not just God of one denomination, but He's God of everything. And there is one Spirit that unites His church, not many. And there is just one church. And we were called to be a part of it. Not to go it alone, but to do it together. Which is why we talk about small groups. Because this is God's plan for us. Is that we would walk together as one. Learning to walk together. Because it's not easy to walk together. Because there are weird people and strange people and people that I don't like. And I wish that Christianity wasn't about relationships. But it is. And when you embrace that, you'll understand why you were created, and you'll come to appreciate other people where you never thought you could. Because God works in those relationships. He works in those times when you give yourself over to his plan for your life. And his plan for your life is that you would do this together. That we, together, would come together to grow to be more like Jesus. That's the target for all of us, together. He goes on to say, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. When we used to, when I was growing up and we wanted to find a way to go, We would always, my dad would usually ask somebody else who had been there, right? He would check with a friend, or he would check with AAA, or he would consult somebody else who knew how to get there, and he would ask them. When we were down in Texas, I met a couple, and and they had been several places that we didn't know about, and I'm sitting, I got my phone, and I'm writing down, and I'm typing down. They don't write in your phone. I'm typing down, and I'm saying, where else? We talked for two hours and them just telling us places they had been you know google sometimes will give some places five stars don't trust it right they're really good about cleaning up all those bad you know bad reviews don't trust it you want to be able to trust somebody who's actually been there somebody who can you trust so that you can come to understand who can guide you and walk alongside of you god gives The church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He gives the church small group leaders. He gives the church teachers in Sunday school. He gives the church pastors. He gives the church leaders in ministry. Why? To equip the saints, to equip the church for works of ministry, for the works of service. Same word. People who have walked along a path that you are now walking, somebody who's walked along that path, Numerous times and never gets tired of walking along that path. Why? Because every time's a new time. Every time you walk along that path with somebody new, it's a new adventure. You learn just as much, if not more. They point things out that you didn't see. There hasn't been a time this summer that our small group has met that I haven't learned something new from someone in our group. same thing awaits you if you're not in a group. That's what God desires, that together we would grow more like Jesus. Not that we would become perfect and and be puffed up with what all we do and what all we know, but know that we would struggle together through life, that we would walk through the pains and the heartaches and and the deaths and, 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 and those things together, that we would be the body of Christ. And that together, it says, when you love one another that way, it's a testimony to the world that Jesus is is God. And so he gives the church, pastors and teachers, he gives the church these people to equip the people. See, the church isn't about hiring people to do the ministry. The church is about bringing people together. And together, we equip one another for the works that God has called us to do. He gives us work. He gives us ministry to do. And if we're paying attention, we'll walk where he's leading. Because ultimately, he's the one that's leading. And we are called to follow him. And as we follow him, as we stay close to him, He molds us and shapes us more into the image of his son. And we become more like Jesus. But we do that together. And so he goes on to say, so that, right? He gives this to the church so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all, meaning all y'all. I was just in Texas. It's all y'all. It's not just y'all. It's all y'all. And that's who he's calling so that everyone, not just this body of believers, so that the entire body, the entire body of Christ, the entire church could reach unity. I don't know about you. I'm I'm kind of idealistic. But if I'm honest, I just cannot imagine a time in, in this life, short of Jesus coming again, that there will be unity in his church. I mean... I know that God can accomplish everything, but with over 20,000 denominations and counting and the divisions that we, the things that we fight over, I, I just can't imagine it. And I, I, I look at Jesus and I know that I'll never be like him, right? I, I, if I'm right. You guys believe that, right? I won't be like him. Not this side of heaven, nor that side of heaven. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't try. Right? And he calls us to unity. And just because maybe we, we say, well, that's just never going to happen, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. That doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to try and to do everything we can within our power with Jesus' help to seek unity, not to be divided. That's what he's called us to, that we together would reach unity in the faith And that we would then come to the knowledge of the Son of God, not to a knowledge about the Son of God, but a knowledge of the Son, which requires relationship. Which requires getting to know a person. Coming to a full knowledge of a person. Which is why he sent his Son. So that we could see him as a person, which he is. And then in coming to meet him and coming to know him, our lives would change and be shaped more into his image. You know, in his book, Zach says this. He says, all of our doing, everything that we do for God, flows out of our being with God. All of our doing for God flows out of our being with God. For the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be with Jesus. Next week specifically, how do we become and how do we spend time with him and allow him to actually change us? To actually do things for the very first time, things that we thought we would never do, he's able to create in us. If we can keep that target forefront in our minds, to be like Jesus. And I know, I know if, if I'm honest, and, and if, if you're honest, I say that if you're honest, like you're all dishonest, but we are all dishonest if we're honest, right? <laughs> you won't do that by yourself. It'll be, it'll be something that you say, yeah, that sounds great. But then you won't sign up for a group, and, and you'll... You'll find yourself back here next year doing or next week or next month saying the same things, hoping and wishing. But this is a time to actually do something today. You can sign up for a small group. You can talk to me after the service. You can talk to someone standing outside after the service. If you're a small group leader, make yourself known. There's an opportunity for you to get into a group because we won't do this alone. Because it's hard to be like Jesus. It's so much easier to be like me. But the world doesn't need me. The world needs Jesus a whole lot more than it needs me. So we need one another, and that's the way God's designed us, like it or not. That's the way he's made us. But it's a beautiful thing that he would take broken people to change the world, but that's what he's done, and that's what he promises to continue to do if we will just follow him. But again, we find it hard to do on our own which is why I want to play this video for you, talking about Pat's story, talking about the power of small group. Watch this.
1: So several years ago, I was in a small group and part of every meeting, we were encouraged to identify people who did not know Jesus so that we could uh, pray for them and encourage each other to build a relationship with them so that we could share Jesus. And in my case, that was my dad. Uh, Growing up, my dad took us to church every Sunday, but somewhere along the line, he lost his faith. We talked about that in the meeting and prayed, and the next meeting came along, and someone in the group said, so Pat, did you talk with your dad? And I'm like, "Uh, no, I did not talk to my dad. Even though I had an opportunity to talk with him that week, I did not. So I knew before the next meeting, I was going to talk with my dad because I didn't want to show up again and say, no, I didn't talk with my dad. So I went to visit him in the nursing home and uh, we sat down and we talked. And I told him that I wanted him to be in heaven with me. And we had a great conversation and I am convinced that he is in heaven because of that conversation and because someone in the group cared enough to hold me accountable. And so I'm grateful for that person. I'm grateful for that group. And I'm grateful that they held me accountable to have that conversation and to share Jesus with my dad so that I could spend eternity with him in heaven. The question about um, if I had had the conversation with my dad when I had not you know it wasn 't a condemning question it was it was one of love and concern, just wanting to encourage me and you know hold me accountable to do what I said I wanted to do It was something that I wanted to do and and that accountability was perfect and in my case you know it was a it was a, an eternal um, Piece of accountability they had eternal difference
0: you already said he' said small groups help you do what you say you want to do but you find it difficult to do on your own don't you think Jesus knows that would you pray with me Father we thank you for this morning we thank you for Jesus who unites us your spirit that inhabits us and we thank you for your love and your patience with us but father if we confess to you this morning. I confess to you my pension, my, my desire to go my own ways at my own speed. I confess to you my, my ignoring your calling, my ignoring your, your taps on my shoulder. For far too long, Jesus, I, I pray to you this morning that you are true to your word. Your word says that if we confess with our mouth that you are faithful and you will forgive us our sins, sins that you've already forgiven, it's a reminder this morning that we have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Father, we stand here this morning reveling in your love and your patience. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives and your presence here this morning. I thank you for the presence here in this meal that we will celebrate together. Your body, your blood with the bread and the wine given to us this morning to remind us of your patience, your gentleness, and your love, to remind us of Jesus, to to give us this body and blood, to give us again new, the forgiveness that we have in him. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen.